Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store warriorscom I am Bo, Johnny on the other end. We have the NFL draft this week. We've got a famous name coming home uh, to coach on Chris Holtman's staff. And we have a quarterback who gets gone. A little bit later, we'll also get into <laughs> Ask Us Anything. And of course, Game of Thrones, a monumental episode uh, for Game of Thrones as they are setting up for just a monster battle. And frankly, Johnny and I could do two hours on that if we wanted to. Um, yes. And we probably yeah. do want to, but my guess is you don't want a two-hour Game of Thrones podcast <laughs> on the Dubcast. So we'll put that at the end, and we'll start with uh, Matthew Baldwin, who uh, shockingly, last Thursday afternoon and into Friday, and put his name in the transfer portal. Um, it was within short order that there were statements from Baldwin and Ryan Day about him leaving the program. This is the second quarterback that has left the program. So on the, I kind of think of it like golf balls. Like when I go play golf, I come away with a, a net one or a negative. Negative would be that's not a good day of golf. I come up with a with more than what balls than I than I started with or even. Then that's a win. So we're down right. a quarterback now um, at this point. So we're negative one. We gained one that we hope is great, and we lost two um, that I think were very good, especially in the case of Baldwin and. While I am sure that there is something very much to the homesickness uh, story that is out there, I would also suggest that if he were the st- going to be the starting quarterback, that he would not be quite as homesick. Um, no, and <laughs> I think this is yeah, I think this is a a pretty straightforward thing, especially at that position, and I think it's one that's going to be around a lot. And we benefited tremendously from it, and now we've lost. I do think pretty significantly uh, from the same ruling. Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, welcome to welcome to big time college football in 2019. Like this is, I, and again, like I know you're aware of this, and I think most of our listeners are aware of this. But I also think a lot of Ohio State fans are kind of befuddled. Like, what? Why would Matthew Baldwin, a dyed in the wool Ohio State fan from the time that he was born, clearly, would have any interest <laughs> in leaving Columbus? for for you know greener pastures somewhere else and it's just this is the way it goes and it sucks because first of all it's Ohio State is not unique in having to deal with this situation clearly but I also want to point out and I think this is important for people to understand this is going to affect major programs way more often than it's going to affect anybody else because Matthew Baldwin doesn't have to have any significant playing time whatsoever to have cachet with other schools simply by virtue of him being at Ohio State that yeah. means he can transfer to anywhere he wants, pretty much. That isn't like yeah, a top tier. Tate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he was on the first block of the news in Miami. That's a big right. market. They thought they were getting, you know, the second coming of Gino Toretta. Right, and it and it's and it's simply because you've got the Ohio State name and brand attached to you, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's a that's a good move. But Ohio State and a lot of these other major programs have to figure out what their rosters are going to look like because if you can't guarantee a guy playing time, they're going to dip. And that's that's something you just got to handle. Yeah, you do have to handle it. And it's a uh, it is that we benefited from it with fields and now we've lost. from it. Um, and the benefit is greater than the loss. I won't pretend that. Um, but I'm also not going to act like this is no big deal because this is a really big deal because yes. I could not think of a situation where Ohio State was this thin at quarterback since Terrell Pryor's eligibility was vanquished. Um, and we went into a season with Bozerman and Braxton Miller as a as a true freshman. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's it. I, I don't recall any other circumstances other than that one that are similar to this one, where there's just no depth uh, at all. And and I think it's really critical that we remember this isn't Debbie Downer. It's just the reality. It's really critical to remember Fields as a freshman. You know, he's been on campus for 90 days. 
he is a true freshman. He's not a, you know, finished product from Georgia who's coming in like this. He's a kid too. Um, so this is a really precarious spot. I think it becomes more precarious when you consider what I believe was going to be their offense. I thought there was a real chance Fields would run for a thousand yards next year. I don't mm -hmm. know if you can do that now because oh, no, you couldn't uh, take that risk. He he'll get beaten, and there's there's nobody behind him now. Baldwin is very capable, and I I think if you talk to people around the program, if they don't get Fields, there's a very good chance that Baldwin would have started over Martell this year. I think most people sure. believe that. Um, going into spring football, then in, in an outright competition, Baldwin would, would have beaten Martell out. Um, and so now you're in a spot where this it's this chugging off kid who transferred in, and who knows what else they're going to get in the transfer portal. But I got news for you. It's not going to be anybody of consequence because no one of consequence is transferring into Ohio State to back up Justin Fields. Right. So it's a tough spot that they find themselves in at quarterback. And it can have, I do think it could have a major impact on the way that Ryan day goes about calling offense next year at Ohio state. Can I ask you, let me ask you this. I, th this uh -huh. is obviously an extreme hypothetical and it's something I've been thinking about a little bit, but let's say Urban Meyer is still the coach, right? Yeah. What kind of situation are you looking at? Like a lot of people are basically saying, this is what I've seen, at least on the website. A lot of people have been, putting the blame on this at the feet of Ryan day, which I think is silly because I think it's just the situation and, and the way college football is kind of going now. But do you think the situation is any different with urban Meyer still as head coach? Yes. So you would think yeah, so. So Tate, I think that Baldwin, one of those guys is definitely still staying. One of them would have stuck around. Um, yeah. I think urban would, and this isn't a, this isn't a knock on Ryan. It's sure. not, it's just urban's urban's is a salesman. I mean, I remember saying when, and this was before the guy who played Don Draper got the Mercedes deal and became the voice of Mercedes. But I remember when he first got hired and saying like what urban for, was for Ohio state was Don Draper selling Mercedes Benz and he can sell anything. And he would have sold Baldwin or Martell, probably Baldwin. He would have sold them on sticking around and competing. And he would have tested their manhood and said, what, what are your guts? And he would have maybe done it at the detriment of even their own careers, as we saw right. with Cardale Jones. So he, Urban would have always, is always be recruiting, always be selling, always be convincing. And I don't think they both would have left if Urban is there. Now, that doesn't mean that Ryan, that's not making Ryan any less of a coach or any less of a man. I just think it's the way the two guys are, are made up, Urban and, and Ryan. There's a little difference there. And I think Urban would have fought like hell. I mean, look what he did last year to keep Tate Martell happy. <laughs> right. I right. mean, he would not praise a kid who's going to be a first-round pick. He would not praise a kid who finished third in the Heisman. He would not praise a kid who broke every record in the Big Ten. Right? Wouldn't praise right. him. But Tate Martell. Keep Martell happy. Yeah. Tate Martell. Like, this is – and you had Haskins. Like, this is a different circumstance now. So, no, I, I to answer your question, I, I, think, I think one of them definitely, probably Baldwin, would still be here. So I tend to agree with that. And I wrote I wrote an article about this last week where I was talking about just kind of, you know, backup quarterback situations starting all the way back to Craig Krenzel. I was a I was a freshman at Ohio State in 2003 and Craig Krenzel, who I you know, I love Craig Krenzel. I mean, the guy had won a national sure. championship and was a great leader and all that stuff. Like, I, you know, one of my favorite Ohio State players of all time, but not an elite quarterback. And he hyperextended his elbow, I think, in the first two or three games of the season. Uh, was replaced by Scott McMullen. There was no real drop off, like, and, and I don't think anybody expected there to be a drop off. But I think two things have happened. First of all, 
the quarterback position in terms of like recruiting obviously is a huge huge deal and and going back to saying that I agree with you with Urban Meyer keeping Baldwin I think Urban Meyer puts such a huge emphasis on that position just in terms of like you know the brand of Ohio state and doing what he wanted to do and, and trying to centering his offense around things that I totally agree. Like I think Baldwin probably would have been convinced to say, even if it wasn't necessarily in his best interest. Um, but the second thing is, is that the Ohio state quarterback position has become so refined, I guess would be a word. And I think I use the word like artisanal, like flatbread or something like the idea is yeah. that it's become more and more specialized in the past 10 to 12 years where you can't just plug in a dude, right? If Craig Krenzel goes down, you replace him with Scott McMullen, not a huge deal. Troy Smith goes down, you replace him with Justin Zwick, or if Braxton Miller goes down, you replace him with Joe Bowserman, that's a big deal. That's a problem. And so I, I think what you're seeing is, is the Ohio State quarterback position becoming more and more important uh, to the offense in the past 10 to 12 years. And so these kind of issues become more and more paramount. And I just think it's interesting because, like I said, when I was a freshman at Ohio State, Craig Krenz goes down. That sucks, but I'm not like sweating it. Like, I don't think Ohio State's going to lose games because of it. Now it's a huge deal. Yeah, it, it is. And it's, that's why I brought up Bowserman and Braxton. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's the, that was a dire circumstance. Yeah. Um, I mean, the game now, against Field, Nebraska, you know, is just, it's, oh. it's point case in point. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's something that came out of nowhere. Now they got a little more time to prepare for this with fields than Braxton did. Um, sure. So there's a little bit more, but it's a, this is a big deal. And I think the other thing it is, and again, this is just, this is just me speaking the realities of, of where we are right now, because, and the reason I do, I tend to talk about this. And I do this on the radio show too, is I think it's really important for Ohio state fans to understand the circumstance you're in and understand that, that it's almost, it's not realistic to think that Ryan Day can keep up with what the standard urban set. And right. part of that is recruiting, right? So mm -hmm. part of recruiting, especially in the position of Ryan, is based on the goodwill he had in recruiting last year was based on still a lot of the kids maintaining commitments from the Urban Meyer program. And then the other part of it, and he's the reason they have fields, is because of the year that Dwayne Haskins had, right? Yes, right. Exactly. Next year is his first recruiting class. That's his. That's yeah. the Ryan Day program. So yeah. if 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 Justin Fields gets hurt and you stumble to eight and four, or God forbid, you know, nine and three, eight and four, God forbid, seven and five, something like that. If Fields goes down and you don't have quarterbacks who can get it done, then is the recruiting gonna what are you signing up for? Then it's easy for rival recruiters to say, Well, what are you going there for? That Urban's gone. It's over. Right. They're not producing NFL guys anymore. Look what they did. They went seven and five. I mean, again, that's not going to happen, but that's that's why the that's why it's so critical. And that's why the Baldwin transfer, um, it, it removes your insurance because he's a good football player. And the kids that you're going to get to back up fields next year are not going to be as good as Matthew Baldwin. Okay, so here's my other question for you then. If this is the case, if we are going to be living in a, a perpetual like anxiety, you know, machine where we're we're constantly worried about Big time quarterbacks transferring if they don't get playing time, things like that. Yeah. How should college coaches structure their recruiting and their their quarterback room? Like, are, are should they be looking for the big stars and then getting like the next best guy right behind them? Is that even a viable no, strategy anymore? I don't think so. I think if you get somebody like, let's say Ohio State landed Fields, yeah, right, that he was just a natural Ohio State recruit last right. year, number right? one, and he was a true freshman, all right. that stuff. 
then I think in in the 2000 and what would it 2019 class, you go get like a three star developmental kid from Ohio. Yep. Yes. So you get, you know, some kid who plays at Pickerington Central, who's a three star, who who whose other offers are, you know, Purdue and you know Michigan State, and you sell that kid who bleeds Buckeye, and you develop him. Yeah, that's what like, I know. I am right there with you, dude. And and that's why, like, I love guys like Kenny Guyton and even JT Barrett, where right. you have a situation where this is not a super heralded guy, but you know you're going to have that guy for a long time, and you have, also have the time to develop his skills. I think that's where you're going to have to go towards when it comes yeah. to quarterback recruiting. It's you not can't go it's not five star five star five star. Yeah, it's not a it's not a position like defensive line or even wide receiver, any of these other places where you can just load up on talent because honestly, they're free agents and they're yeah. not, you know, right. you've got to, if they're not getting paid, they're, they're competing for paying time or they're playing time. Their playing time is their pay. That's, that's how they're going to make their future dollars in the NFL. And so they're not going to accept if they think they're a five-star talent to sit behind another five-star guy, that's just not going to happen. So you've got to figure out a different way to structure your, your football team. Um, Dude, and I just think Beals. it's fascinating going forward. There's a yeah. lot that they're going to have to deal with. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like Fields went to Georgia thinking that he was going to unseat a true freshman who led Georgia to the national championship. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's that's what you're talking about. So these kids are conv convinced in the recruiting process that they can win jobs. And then when they get there and they find out that they can't, they're gone. And it's, it's. I, I just think you have to adjust. You have to go, when you land the five, the five-star kid who's going to play, then the next two classes have got to be like developmental kids and then get another five. Like yeah. in an ideal situation, I think that's the way I would try to structure it. But I, I don't think you want to put five-star after five-star after five-star. You're going to be doing, you know, what ended up happening to us now. And you, the other thing is, is when you recruit a kid from Texas, what's his loyalty? And I don't blame Baldwin. Like if I were him, I would do the same thing. He's the same class as Fields. You know, he yeah. may never play. Like he wants to play. I get it. Go play. Um, but if you're from Texas, what's your loyalty to like, does Ohio state matter to you the way that it matters to some kid who's from here? No, it can't. How could it? There's no way. Right. So and here's the other thing. So I think, and, and again, if, if people think this is a uniquely Ohio state situation, it's not, I mean, no. if you, I mean, what is, what are they dealing with? What are they dealing with at Clemson right now? Right. Where you've got a guy in Trevor Lawrence, who is this mind bendingly good quarterback and was a true freshman last year and won a national champion. Like he's still stuck there for another couple of years. Like they're yep. not, I mean, what, what quarterback would want to come in and say, yeah, I'll get that guy out. I'll, I, I got his position. We're good. He's going down. It's not going to happen. No, it's not. And this is, this is the new norm. Yeah. It's the new exactly. norm. Like, you know, and, and as we get into NFL draft talk, um, it, it brings you to Haskins because Haskins in today's day and age doesn't stick around three years to play. No, no. he doesn't. He's gone. He says, well, wait, I'm, I'm going to play, you know, and these kids are going to get organized and they're going to graduate early if they can, or they're going to bounce after the first year. They're going to want to know where they stand after year one. And then they're gone. And we wouldn't have had the season Haskins had if he was a freshman coming in now, because he probably would have transferred out. Right. Right. So. And it's, it's just fascinating because it is really, it's, it's, there's so many things shifting so quickly in college football and, and personnel decisions are, you know, most important quarterback or most important position on the field is a quarterback. Yeah. You got to learn how to deal with, with a really thin room sometimes. And, and unfortunately Ryan day is getting a crash course on that 
in his first year as Ohio State's head coach. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, his he, he's going to have his hands full. He's going to have his hands full next fall. Sort yeah, no of out and and trying to keep Fields healthy and it's so much on Fields. I just caution Buckeye fans like it's so much on a true freshman. So yeah, much, absolutely. Uh, um, so you know, try try to be somewhat rational about it. Um, NFL draft is this week. We got two guys going to be in the first round, or are they? I mean, a, a lot. I mean, Bosa <laughs> for sure. And now there's all of this stuff. Johnny, I don't believe any of it. As you know, um, as you may or may not know, I also do a show with the Cleveland Browns every day called Cleveland Browns Daily. And on that yep. show, you get a chance to talk to a lot of people around the National Football League. And um, I do not believe that Dwayne Haskins is the fourth quarterback in this draft to be taken. <laughs> um, I tend to believe what Lewis, <clears throat> Lewis Riddick said today on the Dan Patrick show, which was, He's the best quarterback in this draft. I, I think people are overthinking it. Sometimes makes me think it's smokescreen. As I've said before on this podcast, there's been, there's a huge uh, disparity in the opinion on Haskins. From he would have been the number one quarterback in last year's class to he would have been uh, he's not a first rounder. So I mean, there is a huge. I and I don't I can't explain it. Like people love him or, or people think he's fine. Nobody hates him, but people think he's fine or they love him. And maybe the people who think he's fine have talked themselves into. Daniel Jones or, you know, I think Kyler Murray's clearly going number one overall, but they're talking themselves into Dan Jones or Drew Locke or whatever. But like the reality is it's nuts to me that that Haskins that you find so many flaws in a kid who, from my vantage point, doesn't really have that many. And and the, he was at his best when Ohio State's competition was the best. What it really was. I mean, Jerry Immig at Ohio State put an incredible stat where Haskins was like 25 touchdowns, two picks, 1700 yards um 66 percent completion percentage against the six toughest teams ohio state played right. he was fantastic against the best yeah i don't know i mean there was a really great video on uh it's from espn and pertaining to the nfl draft and it was it was dan Orlo orlovsky who was talking to Dwayne yeah, haskins great. on yeah they were they were on espn breaking down plays i i don't know how First of all, Dan's enthusiasm for Dwayne Haskins was really hilarious and awesome. I, I really appreciated that. Yeah. But Dwayne Haskins just has a clear command of pretty much everything you would want from an NFL quarterback. I mean, the guy is just he he eats and breathes football. Yeah. Clearly, incredibly knowledgeable about the game overall. Uh, can throw it a trillion miles per hour. Like, they, I just think, first of all, I think it's a smokescreen from the Giants. Secondly, I. Don't know how anybody who even watches a game could seriously say that he's not, you know, if not the best quarterback in the NFL draft, not, you know, one of the top two. And and frankly, I think he should be the clear cut number one. But oh, yeah, it, me too. It's it's just it always drives me nuts. And I think it's insane how much either I buy into the idea that NFL teams overthink this or that they actually do overthink this because they're maybe it's because there's so much lead up to the draft and there's so much talk about it, but I just don't understand how players who are just clearly dominant and, and really really ready for the league can be second guessed for months leading up to this thing and it's just it just drives me nuts like I don't understand like I, I you know again maybe it's because I focus on college football and that's what I care more about and so I you know maybe I have more of a a feeling that these players are clearly great but I just I don't understand how these teams can talk themselves out of a sure thing it, it just makes no sense to me no. Yeah. I no. I, I think a lot of it is is the time in between and it's a lot of dead air and black air that has to go away. 
Yeah. And, you know, so people got to talk about stuff. But the, the one thing on Haskins that's really strange to me is the disparity around people in the NFL. That there is a real... Okay. Like, what are they... What, seriously, I'm really curious about this. So what are they go. genuinely concerned you. about? I'll tell you. So we're at the Combine, and uh, we talked to Brady Quinn, and I talked to uh, oh, the guy who does Fox. He's great. He's their number one uh, color guy, uh, Clatt. Uh, oh, Quinn, right, yeah. Clatt, and there was somebody else who I, I who's a Chris Sims, who all thought he was far and away the best quarterback in this class, right? Sure. And then I talked to Greg Cosell, who I think is probably the smartest guy on film, and he just thought Dwayne was very ordinary. He thought that the scheme um, allowed for him to make a lot of very easy throws. He thought that his when he was pushed off his spot, he was quickly erratic. Um, he thought that he didn't see a lot of tight window throws. And I don't when I start to think of those, he was when he was pushed off his spot, he was erratic. Um, and that's a concern. I I don't think that that's unfounded, but I think those other guys have it too. The other right. thing I think about the tight windows, he goes, he did, I didn't see him make enough tight window throws. And some of that is a product of the system and the players around you, right? right. Like, you know, they ran the score up on a lot of people. And he, so, had, great, and he had really great wide receivers. To throw great to receivers. Not, yeah. You know, so that's how you, that's how when you, now the other people, uh, certainly Brady and Clatt would have seen him play in person. So yes. that's a little different than Greg, who's just looking on film. And when you're on film, you don't have a full appreciation for the size of a guy or the, you know, the speed of their, you know, the, the way the ball comes off their hand, those type of things. You miss that on film. You know, you can't see that stuff. Um, so those were Cosell. Yes, those are Cosell's. Those were his issues. He just didn't see enough tight window throws and he didn't see um, he didn't see a guy who uh, who's and he saw a guy when he was pushed off his spot where he struggled pretty, pretty big. I just look if if I'm Dwayne Haskins, I listen to all this stuff, and I you know I know that I I can do what I can do, and I have I completely understand why the dude would buy out a bowling alley, you know, and just celebrate with his family instead of actually going to the draft. Because like screw that, I want to say I want to stay with my friends and my family. I'm gonna have a good time. I'm gonna bowl a little bit, and then I want to come out at the end of the day with tens of millions of dollars. I would not want to have to deal with cameras in my face people second guessing me the entire time like it just it just sounds like a huge just awful pain in the butt and i you know i think the guy's gonna go high i think i think the giants probably gonna pull the trigger on the dude as they should but it just it just drives me crazy and it's it's hilarious to see a guy that we know is is really really you know talented and capable and deserving of a top 10 pick uh, just get second guess like that it just it just drives me nuts so i don't know i mean i'm excited for the draft in general i think It'll be fun to see where some of the maybe less heralded Ohio State players end up going, um, because I, I think there's a lot of talent there down the down the down the draft board and the you know the the later rounds that are going to surprise some dudes once they hit camp. Uh, yep. And I'm I'm actually also pretty curious where Nick Bosa is going to go because I, I think there's also been some there's been some hemming and hawing about that dude as well. So it's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be it's yeah, there's a lot to it. And this is one of the beautiful things of the urban program is you get you get guys that are that can make an impact even in the later rounds and yeah, kind of latch onto them a little bit. So there's that that's gonna be fun, certainly. Um, one other thing I want to get to, uh, his brother was one of my favorite people of all time at Ohio State and um one of my one of the best guys, frankly, in John Diebler. And it was great to see Jake Diebler back at Ohio State. Um, he was there under Coach Mata and for Chris Holtman to bring him back. Uh it's a great I think it's a not really nice hire, and I think Jake will do a great job recruiting and building. And I think I think one thing that Holtman has is a real handle 
um, on the program he's building at Ohio State. And I think he's he's building the base and the structure of a program that to me will be right there with Michigan State and Michigan in the Big Ten consistently uh, once the recruits start flowing. And I really like the Diebler hire. I like to get that name back in Ohio. Yeah, hell yeah, man. I, you know, John Diebler has been on the show and I just think, you know, that that's, that's a family that you want to keep at Ohio state. You want to keep him involved in the loop. Uh, like you said, Chris Holtman is just, he's, he really understands where he's going with it. You want to talk about a dude who has to manage rosters, right. And figure out what his personnel yeah. is going to look like, you know, that's bringing in Jake Diebler. That really helps with that element of it. And also making sure that, you know, they can kind of stay viable going in the future because they're bringing back a lot of dudes and, I think it's smart to bring in a guy at this point in time who can help manage that a little bit because there is a little bit of chaos right now. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's, that's a good move. He's going to be great for Ohio state. And I look forward to seeing what the, you know, what the future brings, especially with terms of the guys that they start bringing in the next couple of years. Yeah, going to be fun. He's he's hitting on all of it, uh, to say the least. Um, we'll get to Game of Thrones in a second. Before we do, i got to get some information to you. Be sure to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Dry Goods at 11warriors.com. And don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Before we get to Thrones, uh, any Ask Us Anythings this week, my friend? We do indeed. Thank you guys for sending those in. You continue to send us questions to Ask Us Anything uh, to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11 dubcast uh this question is from Suncard, and <laughs> Suncard, uh I, I, you know maybe it's influenced by real life maybe not um he says how often do you get in the doghouse and how do you get out once you are in <laughs> uh i feel like this may be an urgent with question my, with, with my wife is i'm assuming is what yes i would assume with your wife yes i get in there uh i get in there probably not as much as I used to. Uh, I've sorted it out. We've been married 10 years. And so now we've kind of sorted it out. I kind of know what potholes to avoid. I'm probably right. in there still though, probably once every 90 days or something like that. And um, it usually has something to do with me emphatically saying that I'm right about something. And I find that the <laughs> surest way to solve it is simply to say I'm wrong. You're beautiful. Yeah. I love you. I really screwed up. Will you ever forgive my stupidity? That's usually a pretty quick way to get back on the right side of things. Yeah, I'm a pretty dumb dude. And I, I, <laughs> I would say I get in the doghouse maybe every month or so, which is I'm not going to pretend it's not warranted. Like I, I say dumb crap. I have I have hot takes in all aspects of my life, unfortunately, that sometimes I need to walk back. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's just look, it's just apologizing being sincere because it is a sincere apology because I'm often wrong and, you know, and just moving on and, and look like, you know, acknowledging the fact that it's not a perfunctory thing where you're just like apologizing, get over with like be genuine. I think it's just really what's important because, you know, like I said, as somebody who's been as wrong as often as I am, like kind of just have to to take the lumps and, and swallow your pride sometimes. And it's, it's hard to do. And it's, it's really hard to do. Um, but, you know, I would yeah. say that that's probably my advice. Just don't let the ego get a, get a hold of you. Um, this is from this one's from Tim. He kind of wants to, to go back to the uh, uh, Justin Fields, uh, Ryan Day thing. Um, so he is a little concerned about how Tate Martell handled or excuse me, how Ryan Day handled the Tate Martell situation. And if that might have affected what we're seeing with Matthew Baldwin. It's a very so in other words, question. is this a management issue? Um, 
Maybe. You think so? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I do. Th- I think it's a fair question to ask. <clears throat> I'm not concerned about it. Um, I, I addressed this earlier when, when you asked if, if I thought, you know, Baldwin would be gone if Urban was here. And, I, and no, I don't think so. I think Urban would have sold him, relentlessly sold him on staying. Um, sure. I don't know that Martell impacted Baldwin, but it, I thought it was a really bad look when they did what they did to Martell. I do. Like, whatever you thought of him as a player, the idea that you're at a basketball game that Martell's at and you have a kid who's younger than him in class sitting courtside with Haskins. I mean, it was the mercenary view of college football. Yeah. And there's no loyalty. And so now, from what I understand about Martell is, I don't know that he did all that much to demand loyalty because I don't know that his nose is in the playbook. I don't know that he was preparing. In fact, from what I understand, maybe he wasn't. So it goes both ways, but I did not like the look of that. So I could see how if you're Matt Baldwin or another quarterback or a recruit where that could be used against Ohio state going forward. Cause I yeah, thought that was a bad look. I wonder about that. And, and I know there's been, I feel like there's been some rumblings on the internets about uh, how Ryan day handled the, the Tate Martell situation. And a lot of people I think are kind of peeled about it, especially people who are, you know, big Tate Martell fans and wanted him to be the next quarterback and blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's fine. I mean, if that's who your guy is, then I can understand why you'd be pissed about that. I am just interested here. I, I'm interested in two things about this. The first thing I'm interested in is what is Urban Meyer's influence in this, right? Because it's it's not like he's completely out the door. It's not like he's not telling, you know, Ryan Day, you know, giving him advice and telling him things that, you know, he thinks he should do and things like that. I, I think he, he has more input than people might believe, you know, the second he stops uh, being Ohio State's head coach. So I, I don't think there's there's like zero input from Urban Meyer and how that goes down. The other thing that I think is odd is how we manage like who has the power in a situation like this because i think that's changing too and you know tate martell you know for all his his bravado about you know i'm this is my team blah blah, blah i'm, I'm here to stay you got to prove it blah 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 you know he, he dips and that's fine it's i have no problem with him doing that I, he's well within his right to do that uh but i just the dynamic is really weird and i agree with you that that was a bad look um, I wonder how it was initiated because I feel like something like that doesn't just come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that, that almost feels like a message that's being sent for a reason. And again, to outside observers, you know, even to, to Matthew Baldwin, you may not be getting the, the message that was intended to be sent. You may be getting a completely different message. So, yeah. I, you know, you've got to manage how that looks. And that's, that's on Ryan day. That's, that's on urban Meyer, but yeah, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that he could have done to get Tar- Tate Martell to, to, to stay short of giving him the starting job. But I also agree that it probably could have been done in a better way. So yeah, I think the end of Matthew Baldwin, the, I don't know. Yeah. The result of it's fine. I just think the look is something that I, you know, it, it's not a great look. No, the basketball game looks not a good look. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with that. And that's, that's something to keep an eye on, especially with regards to recruiting. Like players don't want to be done dirty like that. They don't want to be humiliated. No. You know, they don't want to look stupid, especially we just talked about this 20 minutes ago. You know, if you're a big time quarterback and you're taking a risk to go to Ohio State because you're going to be behind somebody else on the death chart, who probably isn't going anywhere. You don't want to be look. you don't want to be made to look foolish. Right. You you no, want to be no. you know, you want to be said that you're the guy who's going to be doing great things at Ohio State. You want people to talk you up, you know, like Urban Meyer was kind of doing Tate Martell last fall. 
And, you know, you, you just don't want to look stupid. And I get that. And and so, you know, that's part of the job that Ryan Day is going to have to master because it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of emotions, a lot of egos. And it's it's hard. You can't just put your foot down no. and say, all right, well, I'm the coach like that. Sorry. Well, if a guy can transfer pretty much anytime he wants, then you're the coach, but not for long. So, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's it's a good it's a legitimate question. Um, Fair. But I, I don't know who's at fault. really. I, I don't know where you would put the blame. Yeah. So uh, that's ask us anything. Continue sending in those questions, guys. Those are great. And as we get in the off season, let's let's get them a little weirder. I, I love existential questions. You know, like that's that's really what we live for in the off season. Ask us anything. So thanks for sending yeah. those in. All right, let's do it. Um, this was a monster Thrones. It was <laughs> yeah. a monster episode. It had so much in it that um, from the idea of like trying to say best scene, you could have like eight Ooh. choices. And they all were huge. Um, Jamie, I mean, let's start. Let's do. Let's kind of just go through chronologically. So let's start with Jamie's. Jamie is on trial. He is on trial uh, by the woman, uh, by the queen, and the woman. Well, I guess his queen now, and by the queen whose father he stabbed in the back. Who, as she says, her brother told her bedtime stories about the man who stabbed her dad in the back and what she would do to him if she ever got his hands on him. He is standing in front of the daughter and presumed son of a man he was completely complicit in getting beheaded. He is is holding their family's sword, which has been unceremoniously melted down, which is something you don't do. (laughs) I totally forgot about that element of it. You're right. Like, my God. from what I understand, like in with Valyrian steel, even if you lost a battle, they would send the sword to the house. Yeah, time when melted it right. and made two Valyrian steel swords out of it, and you got one of them. So there's that part of it, and the guy you pushed out the window that started this whole damn thing is is <laughs> the three eyed raven who calls you out on it in front of everybody. Right. <laughs> I don't know how you can be more satisfying than that right out of the gate. So let's start there. That's that scene. Here's what I love about this this episode. First of all, I, the previous episode, I think, really does not look great in comparison to this one. Because this was just a hangout episode where you've got every single character interaction that you could ever possibly hope for in one, one like, 58-minute block. And it was incredible. And starting with that is great because I think it establishes the tone for the rest of the episode, right? You have a situation where you have all of these really, really just hurtful long histories between all of these different families and groups and people and it just establishes this tone that's like you know what we're all gonna die so at a certain point we've got to set this aside and we'll deal with it in a little bit and that i feel that that was reinforced throughout the episode especially one of my favorite scenes of this episode was uh danny and sansa talk like you know danny's like all right i gotta talk up these northerners and make some buddies and then sansa ends it with saying but what about the north what about all of this after this happens i love that stuff and in that first scene with jamie like is emblematic of all of it where you've got this guy who you know he killed his king and he's he's rightfully known as the Kingslayer, but he did it for good reasons. But nobody knows about that except Brienne, who who steps to his defense. And it's just, there's so many layers to uh, the interactions that these characters all had in that episode. And I loved every second. It was great. It was incredible. Um, the Sansa Danny stuff was incredible. How Danny wanted that. to like hope that she'd go with like girl power, and Sansa's like, yeah, I really don't give a shit about that. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, uh, you know, what about the North? Let's let's right. talk. Let's really talk about it here. You the um. In, from chronologically speaking, the next thing was was the 
I, I think it was the next thing or the next major thing. The Aria stuff freaked me out. I could not have her in a sex scene. Um, <laughs> I was uncomfortable with it. I didn't know if the actress was old enough. Like I was pretty, I just didn't need that much of it. I get it, but I didn't need that much of it. It was a little, that was the well, only negative I saw in it. Yeah. A little much, uh, especially if you've been like binge watching the series before this, you know, last season, you know, Maisie Williams, I think was like 12 when she started on the show. She's 20 now. I mean, she's plenty old enough, right. but, uh, it's still, it's a little weird. It's, it's not really what you want to see out of, out of that. I think I kind of understand it where it kind of shows that she's her own person and there's not really, you know, she's going to take what she wants to get and there's not anything wrong with that, but it's, it's a little odd just because of the character history that's kind of been built up there. Um, I just think here's what I really liked about the episode. You have all of these scenes and my favorite of which, by the way, I'll get into a second, but you have all of these scenes where these characters are kind of rehashing their histories with each other. And they're emphasizing that these histories don't matter because, you know, they're, they're all going to die. Like they all fully yeah. expect that this is it. Like this is the last stand. This is the Alamo. They're not going to come out of this, you know, well, like some pe- people are going to die. And yep. what I really liked about it is that they put aside these histories to kind of like come together and, and do what need to get done. And my favorite scene of the episode was Jamie knighting Brienne, like the, the, the action, like the, 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 the actors were so incredibly good in that scene. Yep. Uh, the meaning behind it, the fact that, you know, he's using Valerian seal to knight a woman who in the books, I mean, Obviously, in the show, she gets a lot of crap for being a woman. But it's most—it's kind of treated as this, like, "Ha ha, you're a big lady." Blah blah blah. In the books, she is just repeatedly, repeatedly harassed, attacked, denigrated for being a woman, and and especially for being a woman who's not like traditionally, you know, pretty and things like that. And the meaning behind that scene, especially if you're a book reader, is just like that is the only thing that motivates Brand is to be an honorable knight and to be finally knighted in that way by Jamie, right? A guy who previously mm-hmm. was upheld to be the best knight in all of Westeros. That's just such a great impactful scene. I love, I, I just absolutely love that. I thought that was really cool. Um, that is the one that, that is, that was unbelievable. It's, and it's even cool. I think it's cool that like Tormund is the one who says, well, why can't you be a knight? Yeah, just do it. <laughs> Yeah, just exactly. Do it. What's the problem? Like, wait a second. What's the problem? Like he's, he's free folk where everybody fights. Like right. there's no lineage of who's going to fight, no hierarchy of who's going to fight and who's not like, if you're good, you fight. So I thought that was great. That that's the overall best scene in a, in a show that had a million of them mm-hmm. because it had it. I mean, just that around the fireplace was incredible. The most consequential scene I think is, is right before when, right after when John is standing in front of his now mother that he knows and tells Danny says his own name and who he is. Yeah. And she has to then deal with the fact that, oh, you're <laughs> you have a claim to the Iron Throne. Oh shit! Right. Everything I've been doing my whole life, everything that's motivated me my whole life, and I'm not even the worthy heir. I thought I was worthy heir, right? I mean, that's all yeah. I've known. She was um, the last. She was the last Targaryen. Targaryen. She was the one who was yeah. representing her family, and now she yeah, knows that's and not the case. I and interpreted the end of that that she believed him. And that yes. maybe she had a hint, a hint, an inkling to it for a while. And um, not that she's okay with it. It's going to take some adjusting. Um, but that, that I, th- I don't think she's going to need any more pe- can people. Con- to, she's not going to need more convincing. I think she knows. Um, and the only thing that I think would have 
I'm surprised based on who John is. I'm sure they left this out on purpose, but like based on John's background, I'm, sh- I'm a little surprised that he wasn't like, I don't care. Right. You, like you, would just you give can it have it. Like I would give it up in a second. I don't care about it. I'm surprised that he wasn't like, I love you. I don't care. Do you think like I'm surprised by that? Let me ask you this. Do you bit. think that it was, it was a stupid decision for John to tell her that in that moment? Um, I, you know, everything he does is stupid. He doesn't do yes. anything smart. I mean, he's never done anything. <laughs> smart. He's, the worst the field, he's, he's the worst field general makes the worst decisions. I think this plan is the stupidest plan of all time. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I think he's, I think he's just a really bad commander and a really bad general. He's a great sword fighter. And obviously, I mean, he came back, he's already got a cheat code. So like in many ways, while I think Kit Harrington does a great job with it and I love like the mythology of it, I think he's one of the worst characters because of that, because he has a cheat code and because he's so dumb with his decisions. So I think it was a really stupid decision, but I also think it was a really John decision and that he can't stop him. He's like, he's obviously Ned's not his real father, but he's, he's so much like Ned. Like he cannot not be completely honest in the moment. Like he, he just can't. Wasn't Ned a good soldier, like a good commander. Ned was a, Ned was a good commander, but he was, he wasn't, he was always like second fiddle to, to Robert. Like Robert was the guy who was really leading all this. Ned wasn't a strategist. He was just kind of a guy who was good at leading people. And yeah, he was a warrior and he was great at it, but, and people loved him because he was an honorable guy, but also when he had to make difficult decisions, he, he made the honorable decision completely truthful. Like he told Cersei, he's the guy who got himself killed. He told Cersei about his entire knowledge of what was going on. And that's what got him beheaded. Like that was really, he trusted Littlefinger. Like this is a guy who just cannot help himself. And John is the exact same way. And I thought that was hilarious that he's telling her that at that moment, just, I mean, you're sowing discord right before the biggest fight your entire life. And it's, again, it's something you're going to have to tell her at some point, but it's just, to me, it was hilariously like a John thing to do. Uh, they had kind of a moment. nod. There was a nod on the top of the castle that made me think that they understood each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think they realized that, that you know, it's, it's about to go down. They got to put it aside. They're going to figure it out. Um, and there seems it, to be real issue. love between the two of them. So I feel like they could sort it out. I I tend to think after yesterday, I kind of wonder if we are going to get, like, the happy ending of the two of them. You think? Like, well, yeah. it's, it's the second episode in a row where there's been an, <laughs> A, a mention of like what if a worthy man and a worthy woman rule together like Davos right. has said that twice now um and I, I don't know maybe you do get the the happy ending and maybe it is a song of fire and ice and it's them coming together and maybe you get the happy ending in this thing i you know i some sort of a happy <laughs> i want to throw a quote at you of, though i want to throw a, quote a ton of carnage go ahead i want to throw a quote at you though if you, if you think this has a happy ending you haven't been paying attention and I, I really think what's going to happen is the North. Remember, there was that little scene where, uh, uh, what's her name? I can't remember her name. Masande is walking through Winterfell and the little kids, yeah. the little snotty kids looking at her like, get the hell out of here. Like, yeah. this is, when this is all said and done with, and let's say they come out on top of the Night's King, all that stuff, they are not, the North is not going to accept Danny. period. And if John has no. a rightful claim to the throne... Forget it, man. Like it's it's everything's gonna go bonkers after that. And I I I am really I I am really curious to see what's gonna happen in the last two or three episodes, just because I think it's gonna be all political intrigue and the North just not accepting at all Danny's claim to the throne. I think that's gonna be the big conflict. The other thing that I'll say that's first to be a lot. Yeah, well, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Yeah. They're not, but that's why I think I wonder if they could rule together and he could, you know, be the loyalty to the north and she could handle the south. I don't think she'll. I mean, then, I mean, maybe. I think she wants the, the throne for herself. I don't know. We'll see. But here's the last yeah. thing that I'll say. You mentioned this last week, which was that the Crips. Yeah. They keep talking about the Crips. Well, that, that that's going to be a slaughter. <laughs> that's a disaster. <laughs> hey, everybody, let's go down the Crips. That seems like a great idea. They, they said that 15 times in the episode. Clearly, it's not a great idea. That's going to go haywire. Yeah. Um, that was really interesting. Last scene that I really, really loved, and this is just me as a history teacher and whatnot, is Bran talking about being the Three-Eyed Raven and saying that the Night's King wants to kill him, specifically to kill him, so that he can yeah. wipe out Westeros history and just like and again I've talked about the the Nightwalkers being like yeah. uh, you know hellfire like nuclear hellfire I really think that's what they represent in an abstract way and I think they want to kill the Thread Raven by destroying Westeros's history which you remember Westeros and, and they again they emphasize this more in the books has such a difficult time with its own history because of these cycles of winter and summer that just keep destroying like you're in desperate survival mode right for 20 30 years at a time it destroys all of your culture and history. And so the Thread Raven is kind of preserving this for future generations. The idea that the Nightwalkers want to destroy all that and wipe it out to me is a really like, I think that's a really poignant and really cool thing. And I like the fact that Bran is, that's his mission is to preserve that for the future. I think that's pretty badass. I enjoy that a lot. What did you think about the fact that he sat down with Tyrion? Oh, that was the other, I, I totally forgot about deal. that. That it's a big deal. That conversation, that conversation is definitely going to be coming up again. Bran told Tyrion something, told him something. Cause after, before that Tyrion was like super dour and just like, Oh, I hate all this. And even his conversation with Jamie was like, really like, you know, not, not super buddy, buddy. They were kind of cracking says jokes after it. I think we might survive. Yeah. Right. It was all gallows humor. And then he talks to Bran and then suddenly he's, he's feeling a lot better. He's willing to get drunk and chill with pod and all that stuff. So, and I um, think he's getting set up for redemption too. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's being so set up be, for redemption. That'll be fun. So that'll big. be really fun right, to see. So what Rand told I also feel like uh, this will, we'll, <laughs> we'll wrap this up on this. I also, okay. th let's just say this. Who is the, is there a clear winner next week in the battle of Winterfell? Um, and how do you anticipate it going next week? Okay. So I don't think there's a clear winner. I, I think they will hold off. I think they'll protect brand because that's really what, that's what the Knights, Knights Kings going after. That's what the White Walkers going after. I think they'll protect Bran. I think a lot of people are going to die. I think you're going to see a lot of side characters just getting the axe. Davos, you know, Tormund, these guys. I'm Pod's oh, it's dead. Be so sad. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, sad. yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of going to be a lot of major character deaths. Um, but I think ultimately they protect Bran. I think they hold him off but I don't think that's the end of it. I think they're going to have to try to wrap some things up in terms of like, maybe it's a faint, maybe there's something else that they have to take care of. Uh, the iron islands may have to deal with it. Uh, you talked about people evacuating there. I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, I, I think they'll have a victory, but it won't be a complete one. And I think you're going to see a lot of people die. I feel like that yesterday's episode was the long goodbye. So you said, yeah, I think everybody who had a nice moment is dead everybody um <laughs> <To> everyone <laughs> yeah i think the only people like if all right let's do this before i get into my prediction for the episode what okay. who do you think absolutely will not die next week give me four will people not who will not die will not Tyrion die. will not die um aria will not die john will not die danny will not die sounds i don't die. think jamie will die because he's got to kill cersei 
Yep. Uh, Sansa Sansa's not die. dying. No, she's not going to die. Everyone else, I think, is fair game. Like, I think that's pretty much it. Everybody, every single other character is def like they're fair game. Yeah, I agree with your list. I think you got it. I w- I would say that that those are the people are safe, and um, I would I'd be surprised if any of them died because of things that still need to come. Um, I think that Night King wins at Winterfell. I think he takes it or it's decimated. One of the two. Um, I think you do a lot of damage. You do some damage to the Night's King uh, and the army, but that you lose a lot. You're going to lose all the people that I mentioned uh, that we didn't mention is safe. I think all those people are gone. Um, and I think that there is a retreat. Uh, we know that there's a way out of the crypts. Theon would know that because Master Lewin told him that. So we know there's right. a way out. So I think you could flee and and retreat um, and and that that you'll live to fight another day and that the the night king will then march on the south will be his next plan i i've heard some people talk about the night king because like if there's a dominating night king win i can't imagine there would be he's almost insurmountable but of course if you just kill him then that's all that matters um because he would all of them would fall if you killed him i i mean i've heard some people say he's gonna be at the battle he's gonna he's gonna be away from the battle and it's a faint like he's gonna go and try to to do something else like in king's landing or something like that yeah, which he could. I mean, he could ride that dragon down there and go down there, and it, it, right. that could be the way that it goes. Um, but isn't he the one who's got to kill Bran? I I don't and know. Can, I mean, they're connected. Raise, like, are you concerned about him? Them raising all the eight thousand years of Starks? The, I, I don't know because in the in look in the books, the, it's all bones, right? Like they don't the way they the way they do it in Westeros is they don't like intern a body like they they strip the they strip all the flesh from the bones they have like macers do it and then they send like the skull and like you know the the rib cage and all that stuff so in the books ned is is buried there but it's just his bones it's not his actual body uh i don't know how they're going to try to do it in the in the show i mean they could have a bunch of zombies rise up and, and attack people but um yeah if they're sticking with the books there's just that's not possible and in, in a lot okay. of cases like there are no bones. And in some cases they just like literally make a statue of somebody and you know, it's a memorial. Okay. But so that's I don't, good. I don't know. That's something I wasn't sure about. Yeah. So it, it depends on how they decide to go about it, but that would be, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just really excited for next week. I think that's one of the, it's, it's one of the long episodes, right? It's going to be like an hour and a half. Yeah, or it's an hour and 24 week. minutes. That's crazy. Hour so, yeah. That's so that's, it's the longest. I saw this, this, I saw this, uh, this morning, it's the longest battle ever filmed. Period. It's wow. longer than the Battle at Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, which that's, that's a monster. Yes, that forty some minutes, forty five minutes. That battle. Was. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot to do. It was also, I think, it was also. Last thing I'll say on it, it was an episode that had, if you watched the show or read the books, meant so much to you because you followed oh, yeah, these people man. for so long. You followed them. Yeah. You know. You hung on ever. It's the political intrigue, the talk. That's what it's always been about is the character development. And they had it yeah. in spades Sunday. Yeah, to me, it was an A-plus episode, one of my favorites. And I just kind of wish I'd gotten more of that kind of feeling last week. But uh, it was this week was yeah. great. And and honestly, like, that's what makes Game of Thrones great is really the character interactions. Like, people love it and they make fun of it because it's the dragons and boobs, you know, show. It's not but that, but really, the way the characters have been built and the history... Uh, that's that's what you're in it for and that was that was a hell of an episode it was really fun it was always the political intrigue that's always what it was for me i mean you didn't even the dragons didn't even come on the scene until the end of the first season so right and they were tiny little little, lizards yeah you had no idea what they were going to turn into that's not what it wasn't that all right buddy gonna be a battle at winterfell next week to break down that'll be fun plus we'll find some time for some ohio state stuff as well so i'll talk to you (laughs) next week my friend yep talk to you next week